From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. This week, the wholesale energy market was suspended. It's the first time the Australian energy market operator has ever had to take that step to keep electricity flowing to homes and to businesses. But this crisis has been decades in the making, caused by a policy vacuum that both sides of politics share responsibility for. So the question now is, how do you fix over a decade of political inaction? Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on the suspension of the energy market and the political blame game that's followed. It's Friday, June 17. Paul, the energy market regulator, AEMO, took the extraordinary step of pausing the electricity wholesale market this week. Before we get to the politics of it all, Paul, what exactly does suspending the energy market actually mean? Well, basically it means, Ruby, the market between electricity generators and electricity retailers, who households buy their electricity from, got too difficult to manage this week. After days and weeks of chaos in the market and allegations that generators were withholding supply, waiting for compensation mechanisms to kick in so they could get the top dollar to put their electricity into the grid. The energy regulator has just declared it's suspended the spot market in New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania and Victoria with market suspension. So the Australian energy market operator said for the first time in its history it would suspend the market and said this was the best way to, quote, ensure a reliable supply of electricity. Well, what we're creating today is a a secure electricity system where we're able to manage supply and demand in real time and have visibility on any gaps in between supply and demand uh, for the foreseeable future. Now, suspending the market being the best way to ensure reliable electricity is a pretty incredible thing for the market operator to say. And for as long as this suspension stays in place, it means electricity will be sold to retailers at a fixed price set by the regulator. There are a number of factors that go into price, which I'm not going to speculate on here. What I'm uh, focused on today is making sure that we have safe, reliable energy for consumers throughout Australia. It's a crisis that's been building for years and the last federal Labor government can share the blame for not insisting on a reservation policy for gas producers as they began exploiting our vast resources. But that short-sightedness was over a decade ago, and in the years since, the situation has worsened due to a lack of policy development and clarity on the future of coal, gas and renewables. Right, and I suppose when we look at the current situation, there's a lot of blame to go around. But can you tell me a bit about how various state governments around the country are reacting? What are they saying to the people who live in their state about the issues with supply that they're all experiencing? Well, sure. The New South Wales Energy Minister, Matt Keane, has gone as far as calling on residents in his state to reduce their power consumption in the evenings to help the grid cope with the lack of supply. He said even people could uh, chip in and help by avoiding putting on the dishwasher until they go to bed. Victoria's Energy Minister, Lily D'Ambrosio, welcomed the market suspension and said it was to protect energy users and put certainty back into the market. 
D'Ambrosio said, and I quote, it's disappointing that energy generators were potentially gaming the system and not utilising the options available to them. This behaviour is unacceptable and, she says, will be investigated. At the end of the day, Ruby, those private energy companies are looking after their own bottom line, gaming the poorly designed system to enhance their profits. And this, after all, is demanded by their duty to their shareholders. But of course, it exposes the very flaw at the heart of the privatisation of essential utilities. Mm. Right. And as you said earlier, Paul, this crisis has been building for a long time. It's been created by the last decade or more of, of bad policy, or I suppose more accurately, no policy on energy. But all of that doesn't change the fact that it is right now this current government's problem to fix, isn't it? Well, that's right. Australia has been mired in inaction for a long period on this ruby. And Prime Minister Anthony Albanese identified the failure of energy policy as one of the main reasons we have a change of government. Well, it should be a source of incredible embarrassment for the occupiers of government over the last nine years that we've had uh, this situation arise. This is a direct result of a failure to invest, of a failure to have an energy policy, of having 22 policy announcements but not landing one. Albanese says the energy emergency is the result of a decade of neglect on energy policy. My government and uh, Chris Bowen as the minister will act in a considered, sober way to make sure uh, that as we go into the future, uh, anything that can be uh, learnt from what has happened this week uh, will be, but we won't hesitate to take action that's available and in this And the same vested interests that drove the climate wars that held the old coalition government in their thrall, well, they've been just as culpable for the present situation. You know, Malcolm Turnbull actually hit on a credible solution in the shape of the National Energy Guarantee. But for his trouble, you might remember, Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison dispatched him. Now, uh, Albanese and Bowen are working on delivering their energy policy that they say will give investors the certainty they've been denied while the coalition slugged out its internal conflicts. Mm, Sure. And when it comes to energy, Paul, I mean, all we really know at the moment is that Albanese and Bowen are are working on an energy policy, so it's not much to go on, but the stakes are, you know, as you said earlier, they're extremely high. Well, they are, and this is the problem. Uh, If we can use the analogy, it'd be great if you could just flick the switch and all the problems were answered. But what we are seeing, however, is quite um, urgent crisis management with AEMO being urged and backed to do whatever it takes to keep the lights on. Mm. So it seems like really this is the Labor government's first real challenge since taking power. And it's an important one to get right, isn't it, Paul? Not least of all, because people are pretty worried about their energy bills. Well, Ruby, its importance can't be overstated. As I say, Albanese and Bowen will make energy sector reform a priority. But the more immediate issue is household budgets, because electricity is not the only cost of living pressure. We're still left with rising gas prices and petrol price relief is ending in September. These cost of living pressures, along with falling property values, well, they all spell trouble for Albanese. The view of one newly marginalised Liberal MP who saw his margin shrink by about 8%. I spoke to him this week and he said no government can survive the middle class feeling poorer. 
Well, maybe, but with three years to go until the next election, some in Labor are counting on things improving. And there was more relief offered on Wednesday, when the Fair Work Commission raised the minimum wage by 5.2%. Well, that was slightly above the level Morrison and Frydenberg warned would destroy the economy when Albanese absolutely supported low-income workers not going backwards in the campaign. The Prime Minister welcomed this vindication, saying it would make a big difference to these struggling families. So, Labor hopes all of this adds to making a difference. But Parliament resumes in a little over a month, and we'll have a much better idea then of how Labor will address the cost of living crisis in its October budget. And we'll also see how the new opposition leader, Peter Dutton, shapes up, holding the government to account. We'll be back in a moment. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday Paper, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Paul, we've been talking about the week in politics and it's been dominated by the energy debate, but you were just saying that there were some other interesting tests that are on the agenda when Parliament resumes. So what do you think that they will be? Well, an early test for Peter Dutton may have developed this week. On the weekend, he wrote an opinion piece in The Australian revealing a secret plan he had in the dying days of government to fast-track the acquisition of nuclear submarines built in the United States. You know, it's quite the thing to reveal in an article in the press. It was a political attack which he attempted to cloak in his superior national security credentials and his inside knowledge. Dutton claimed the incoming minister, Richard Miles, would have been briefed on this plan by the department. But he said the new minister's early comments on the topic are alarming, a reference to Richard Miles talking of prolonging the Collins-class diesel-electric subs, or building a few more pending the arrival of nuclear boats in 20 years' time. However, the new Defence Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles has lashed Dutton over these comments or this piece today in The Australian. In a statement, he says, This outburst today from someone so recently in the chair is damaging to Australia's national interest. The comments are loose and undermine the AUKUS agreement. All options remain on the table. But some from the security establishment were appalled. Dennis Richardson is a former Director General of ASIO, Secretary of DFAT and Secretary of Defence. And he's our guest this morning. Dennis Richardson, welcome to the program. Hi there, PK. Thanks. Dennis Richardson called out Dutton's use of classified insider knowledge when he went on RN Breakfast. There were aspects of what Mr Dutton wrote in the Australian, which had previously been classified. Uh, So I suppose it's a matter for the government and Mr Dutton to sort that out. When he says sort it out, Paul, what does that mean? Can 
the new government really do anything to stop the opposition leader from using his knowledge of these kinds of classified deals to his advantage? Well, Ruby, already turning Dutton condemnation, Labor insiders would be very surprised if the matter is allowed to slide when Parliament resumes. Questions will be asked, and the new opposition leader could be in for a bumpy start. At the very least, Dutton's credibility as a responsible Australian statesman is on the line. Using classified information to score political points, especially in this area of security, surely crosses the line. Well, it was just more uh, blustering from Dutton, isn't it? I mean, he's a belligerent, belligerent blusterer who wrecked a submarine contract, he and Morrison. Former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was scathing. He describes Dutton's outburst as the same belligerent bluster that destroyed a submarine contract. He's referring there to the shambolic way the French submarine deal was ditched. And we're now in a position where we don't have any submarine program at all. Between Morrison and Dutton, they did enormous damage to Australia's national security. Shameful, actually. Mm, Okay. And while we're on defence and foreign affairs, Paul, we've seen this big diplomatic push in the last few weeks. We've had Labor ministers meeting with their Pacific partners and Indonesia and, and even renewing meetings with China after that freeze on meetings between Chinese and Australian officials that went on for, for a few years. So what do we know about whether any of these efforts are actually working? Well, Dennis Richardson, who's one of our most senior former bureaucrats, is full of praise for the way the new government leadership has set out to repair crucial relationships in the South Pacific with China and with Australia's quad partners, the USA, Japan, India and Indonesia. I think the Prime Minister, the Foreign Minister and Defence Minister have managed it superbly well. Having said that, the easiest part of any government is at the beginning. He says they have the advantage of being new and without the baggage and barnacles of the past 10 years, or indeed senior ministers always talking up conflict with China. This former senior bureaucrat, though, stresses it will get harder from here. Mm. And Paul, it's been almost exactly a month now since the election. Do you get the sense that the reality of being in government has now fully sunk in for Labor because they're faced with these big problems with fixing the China relationship, with fixing the energy market? And, you know, right now the outcomes of either of those are still a little unclear. (laughs) Well, there's certainly, as you've just outlined, been no honeymoon from their part. But I think there is the benefit that most of these senior ministers have already been in government. So there's a certain equilibrium, if you like, in facing up to all of this. And Albanese has been very keen in his interviews and public statements since winning power of emphasising that there's no panic here, there's no rush, that they will be taking things as calmly and as they come based on the best advice. And so far, according to early opinion polling, the Australian nation is impressed. Mm. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ruby. Bye. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. 
Also in the news today, the federal government has formally committed to the United Nations that Australia will make a 43% reduction in emissions by 2030 under the Paris Agreement. The federal government says its new target draws a line under a decade of climate wars. And in the US, Ghislaine Maxwell has requested a jail sentence of no more than five and a quarter years for helping deceased financier Jeffrey Epstein sexually abuse teenage girls. Maxwell was convicted last December on five criminal counts, including sex trafficking, but her lawyers argue that Epstein was the mastermind behind the abuse. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Elle Marsh, Cara Jensen-McKinnon and Alex Gow. Our technical producer is Atticus Basto. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Scott Mitchell. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week.